Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're fresh off a 27-23 Giants victory over the San Francisco 49ers on Monday night. We're taping this on a Thursday, so we're already shifting our attention now towards the next game. A thriller versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this is actually a big one if you think about it for the Giants. And this is, you know, what you're looking at at this point. The Bucks are three and six. The Giants are two and seven. The Giants win this one, which is definitely a possibility. Then that really high draft pick now is really going to come into question because if they're a three and seven team, win another game or two even probably, uh, and you end up with five wins, all of a sudden we're probably not talking top five pick anymore, right? There's some bad teams out there. The Bucks, who they then just lost to, we have. A thriller out there this week between the Raiders and the Cardinals. Those, in my mind, those are the two teams, right? One of those two teams is going to get the number one overall pick. In my eyes, those are the two worst teams in the NFL by a pretty wide margin. It's the Arizona Cardinals and the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders stink. right? I really think, I mean, our, our uh, own Seth Walder at ESPN, ESPN Analytics, they came up with, uh, they, they have an FBI and they, they do projections. The Raiders were 50% basically to get the number one overall pick. So the likelihood is they're going to control the draft, right? They have all these first round picks that they've accumulated and they're likely to have number one, especially if they lose this week to the Cardinals. And then, then the Giants, on the other hand, look, we know they're probably in the quarter, but they need to be in the quarterback market. If there's only one, it's going to cost assets. It's going to cost assets to move up to that number one spot. I think, that, I think that's, that's a given. It, it's going to end up being costly now. Uh, I'm not saying they shouldn't win. I mean, their players don't go out on the field and want to lose. That's not their intention. They're, they're not going to do that. And they have players like Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham in this team. And when you have those guys on the field, you're going to win some games. You saw Odell Beckham. He dropped the first pass of the game, right? And uh, we've seen this a little bit more the last couple of years, I mean, it was a very strange phenomenon because Odell's first couple of years in the league, he basically never dropped a pass. And the last couple of years, he has. He showed a, a little crack in the armor, and he dropped some passes. And now that I think about it, when I when I remember, I remember looking at his tape pre-draft, right? And something that came up on his tape were concentration drops. I, I even remember writing it down. And... Now, as we sit here, what, five years later, and you think about it, that is something that pops up with him. The concentration drops are, are there. Uh, maybe he's trying too hard to make plays. Maybe he's trying to run before he gets, but whatever it is, the drops, he has, he has some drops. I mean, that was his, like, I think it was his fourth this year. So, uh, look, you could take the drops, no big deal. It's not the end of the world, especially when you go and you score two touchdowns like he did, and he really could have had way more. I mean, if, there was one play in the second half where Odell was about five yards clear of his guy, and Eli underthrew a deep pass probably by a good five yards and, you know, it wasn't even close. I mean, it wasn't out of the realm of possibilities that Odell could have had one of those 150-yard games with three touchdowns, especially if, he, if Eli had gotten that one pass out there deeper on that deep ball. So just a tremendous player. And um, when he's on the team and when Saquon are on the team – they're going to win some games. As I've been preaching this all along, I still believe it. 
they're going to win some games. They have a much easier schedule in the second half. The Bucks right now, they'll have the Redskins later. They're completely beat up. The Cowboys in Week 17, an absolute disaster. Uh, now the Titans and Colts, they're both playing pretty well, so those are not going. Those are those are tougher games. But if you told me they steal one of those two games, would I be stunned? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be completely stunned if they win one of those games. So I think four or five wins is is likely for this Giants team at this point, and uh, you know probably around the fifth to seventh pick. I'm just guesstimating at this point because look, there's worse teams. You got the Raiders. They're bad. They beat the Bucks this week. The Bucks, the Niners, who they already beat, the Cardinals, uh, and then there's other teams in the mix with them. The Browns are still there. They're three six and one. The Jaguars are three and six. I, I think they'll win some games. But uh, the Broncos are bad. They're three and six. Um, who else here? That's pretty much it. So. Those are, let's see, let's count the teams in this mix for, let's say, the top picks, okay? We, uh, we'll start from the AFC East, okay? Oh, we forgot the Jets, of course. The Jets and Bills, there's two. The Browns, still in that mix, that's three. I'm not gonna count the Jaguars, but we'll count the Broncos and Raiders. So now we're at five teams. Five really bad teams, nobody getting over six wins, right? Uh, the Giants, that's six. I'm not going to count the Lions. I consider them a step above. The Bucks, that's seven. The Cardinals, that's eight. And the Niners, that's nine. So nine teams. The Giants probably end up somewhere in the middle of that, basically. So around, let's say, five. Right? Four and a half, five. So four, five, six is... uh the likelihood of where they'll probably land. And, uh, you know, if there's one quarterback, Justin Herbert, that they want in the draft, we know how that's going to work, right? Go, we, We'll go over this later on but and how much it might cost when we know we have a better idea of where they'll land. But you see, go back and look at what the Eagles paid for Carson Wentz, and that'll give you an idea. That was the number two pick. So let's say, uh, you know, the Raiders are the – um, Cardinals end up 1-2. And the Raiders decide to stick with Derek Carr. The Cardinals already drafted Josh Rosen last year. One of these teams wants the quarterback. It's going to be really the Jets and the Broncos. Uh, sorry, the Giants and the Broncos. And maybe the Bucks too. Those are the three teams, right? Those three teams now will have to pay out their noses and their behinds and their, you know, I can't even say what I want, <laughs> so I'm trying to come up with words. Uh, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna have to pay. They're going to have to pay to get that quarterback, and that's if he comes out. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about the game. Right, the Giants beat the 49ers, 27-23. Good comeback, great late drive. Eli Manning played better for sure. Offensive line much better. We'll get to that in a minute. Corey Coleman stood out to me. Contribution on special teams made a big third down catch. I think we're going to see more of him going forward. Josh Morrow started, I believe, at defense. Did he start or was it a carry win? Played a lot, though, Josh Morrow. I'll look it up in a second because uh, he's a guy who came with James Betcher this offseason. He had five tackles and was really good against the run in this game. Uh, but he came with James Betcher from Arizona, missed the first four games. He played 31% of the snaps. He did not start. Kerry Wynn technically started. But Josh Morrow was, played his best game as a Giant, for sure. B.J. Goodson, 
two interceptions, six tackles. You like what you see from him. It just makes you scratch your head when you watch the Giants linebackers because we'll get to the bad in a minute. They couldn't cover a tight end for the life of them. But you scratch your head because you sit there and you're like, man, B.J. Goodson. He basically is a younger, cheaper Alec Ogletree. Yet they traded resources and are paying a lot of money for Alec Ogletree. Right, and he's a decent, smart player. I, I, I you know, I, I like he he reads out screens. He does veteran stuff, and you like that about him. But he costs ten million dollars a year. He's basically getting paid at a Pro Bowl linebacker level, and he's not a Pro Bowl linebacker. And so you're like, man, they already had a cheap young guy there. They really need a guy that can cover to kind of complement him. Instead, now they're kind of stuck with Ogletree. I know people have asked me this already. I'll get more into it as we go along here and we go more into the offseason. But his bonus was guaranteed back in March for 2019. So getting rid of him now is even is tough. They're basically, he's on the roster for next year, likely. So th- that kind of adds to that mix, and it makes you scratch your head because when you see B.J. Goodson, he had two interceptions. He looks fast. He looks like he can run around the field and make some plays. Also, not great against the pa- against the pass and covering tight ends, but he's a thumper. He could he can make plays near the line of scrimmage. He's really a, similar to Ogletree, but he had his best game of the year for sure. Janaris Jenkins, he had a strong game. He helped create that first interception. That Goodson had, he tipped the ball. And Lorenzo Carter, the rookie out of Georgia. And I back the way, I bumped into this. I thought this was interesting. He had seven tackles, three tackles for a loss, and a quarterback hit right. Three tackles for a loss. Lorenzo Carter now leads the Giants this season with five tackles for a loss. That and that's solid for Lorenzo Carter. Five tackles for a loss. Pretty good number. Rookie played really well. Uh he even in he even created pressure on the Hail Mary at the end of the game that prevented the 49ers from really getting a good shot at the Hail Mary. And Nick Mullins, the third-string quarterback, remember the Giants did beat the 49ers with a third-string quarterback, so this isn't a, a win to go start jumping all over the place about. Uh, he threw the Hail Mary out of the end zone. That was Lorenzo Carter's doing. So the positives, I mean the bads, those were the goods. The bads, Landon Collins, Alec Ogletree, rough games. Uh, even though Landon Collins had nine tackles, they can't cover tight ends. Uh, they have no chance. They had no chance to stay with George Kittle. I mean, it's a problem for the Giants. They've been pretty decent at it this year so far, but on Monday night it was bad, and they had a rough game. Saquon Barkley had a rough game. He was slipping all over. He had to switch cleats, which you told me about. It's a rookie mistake. He said one of these things. It was just a miscalculation on his part with the cleats of uh, what he thought the field was going to be like, even though he te- they tested it before the game. It's different, right, once you start getting into the game. So that and also he's got to start hitting holes a little quicker and harder at times. Too much dancing. He's leaving too many yards on the field at times. I understand he's going to make the big plays, and that's part of the beauty of Saquon, but you got to pick and choose your spots. And he's talked about this before, and I saw it a lot the other day. I thought I thought that might have been... His worst game, uh, just in the fact that there was a couple times where you, it, it was a second and short at one point. I believe it was second and three. And he had, he really just danced around a little bit and gained a yard and he could have just stuck it up in there and, and, and hit the hole and, and got his three yards and, and went on to the next play. 
you know, but he's still learning, and uh, that was that wasn't his best game. And Curtis Riley, the free safety, I mean, he had six tackles, but uh, another missed tackle on a touchdown. I mean, you know, they have to figure out what the heck they want to do at free safety. Curtis Riley's not getting the job done this year. As for this week, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Okay, here's the funny part. So the early lines came out. They come out on Monday, and the Giants hadn't played yet. So the Bucks game at that point, you look at it, and it was a Giants Bucks. It's at MetLife Stadium. So Giants are at home. They're playing the Bucks. The Bucks team has been terrible lately, right? Actually, since week three, the Bucks are worse than the Giants. So they're like what? They won their first two. So they're uh, one in six since week three. Okay, so they're bad. And their defense stinks. They're allowing 40-plus points a game at times. I mean, they've allowed multiple 40-plus games. Okay? So the line opened, the early line was pick them. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, the Giants may not be a favorite in any game this year. Like, it was either the Bucks game and then Week 17 against Dallas. Who knows what's going on in Week 17? Those were the only two that I looked at and like, man, you know, those are the two where maybe they could be favored. So the Bucks line opens at even, okay, and then you go and look at it and you see, okay, let's see what happens in the Giant 49er game because that's going to determine, right? If the Giants win that game. They're probably going to end up being favorites. If they lost that game, they probably would end up being underdogs because the public would have been so down on them. They just lost to uh, a third-string quarterback in San Francisco in front of, of a national audience. So instantly, when that happens, the public is that you know gets even further down on the Giants. But the way it turns out, they win. They are now. I'm looking at it. We're sitting here on Thursday morning. Anywhere from one and a half. To two point favorites. Okay, one and a half in Westgate, which is the lines that we use at ESPN. So the Giants are one and a half point favorites. Finally, first time this year. This goes to show you where they really stand, right? First time this year, the Giants are considered listed or listed as favorites in a game. They came close against the Redskins the first time. I was at MetLife Stadium. The Giants were one-point underdogs, it came out to be. Um, and the Redskins, by the way, are first place in the NFC East. But they came close that week to at least it was getting there. The line was getting towards even, never quite got there. So the Giants were one point closed at one-point underdogs. This week, they're going to close at favorites for the first time this year. And likely... I mean, because they play the Redskins game is in Washington. The Colts game is in Indy. Uh, even though the Titans and come to MetLife Stadium, they'll probably be favored. So the only other game the Giants have a chance to be favored is Week 17 against the Cowboys. Depending on what happens with Dallas, right? They could fall apart by then. So enjoy it. Giants, one-point favorites against the Bucks. Really a bad game. I mean, we're going to – everyone watches it if you're a Giant fan because you're a Giant fan, right? That's what you do. But – as for looking at this week's slate, it's not even the worst game. The Raiders play the Cardinals. That is the worst game. Like, if you really want to punish somebody, if you don't like somebody, like your kid misbehaves or something, say, your punishment this week is you have to watch Giants-Bucks beginning at 1 o'clock straight into 
Raiders Cardinals at four o'clock. And so from one to eight, you have to sit down and watch those two games from start to finish. That is a punishment. And it's funny because we were out in uh, Oakland, right? And you realize, I mean, sorry, we were out in San Francisco. And you realize how bad Bay Area football is, right? The Giants and Jets stink, okay? The Giants are two and seven and the Jets are three and six, right? So you think, oh, New York football is really bad. No. Not as bad as Bay Area football, where the Oakland Raiders are one and eight and the 49ers are two and eight. Okay. So you're talking about three and 16 and they're down on their teams. Trust me. I mean, I know everyone thought, thought the, oh, the, uh, the, um, I'm drawing a blank on their name, right? The 49ers. I said it 20 times already. The 49ers, they have three first round picks on their defensive front. And their defensive front's good, and it's going to give the Giants fits. Well, after the game, I'm going to the airport, and I'm listening to the radio, and you realize they might have three first-round picks. That doesn't mean they're really good. That They considered two of those guys, uh, Solomon Thomas being one of them, complete busts. Not complete busts, but busts. I believe they said Armstead was the only one that they that turned into a real legit player. That the other two are disappointments. So they're really down on their teams, just like most Giant fans are down on their team. Uh, we'll get into the offensive line uh, a little bit later or another time, but just the future of the offensive line. I mean, you saw Jamon Brown come in. I forgot to mention him with the good, obviously. He played well. Uh, new right guard for the Giants really made a difference. Um, but whether he's part of the future and what the future should be at the, with their offensive line and how they should go about Really continuing to rebuild that, that's something we need to discuss. We'll probably do it either later in this podcast or in a future podcast. But with that, let's move on to the next segment of the show. Your favorite, Giants After Dark. On to the next one. That time now for your favorite segment of the podcast. It's Giants After Dark, where I try my best. To answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions. So I'm going to start this week with a idea from Mike Kanick. He reached out to me via Instagram, DM me, which some of you have done recently. And I'm going to answer a whole bunch of you guys from Instagram DM today. And he wanted me to basically redraft because he he did it, he he redrafted the the 2018 draft, right? And uh, you know he put all these ground rules, and he didn't factor in season performance, and basically came away with we'll, we'll do the the top five here, right? He went with Mayfield to the Browns, Darnold to the Giants, Rosen to the Jets, Denzel Ward to the Browns, and Saquon to the Broncos, and then Quentin Nelson six to the so we'll do top seven actually Nelson six to the Colts, and. Josh Allen, seven to the Bills. Now, I'm going to do it a little differently because I think if we're going to redraft it now, we have to do it taking into consideration what we've seen so far, right? And what we've seen so far is you, you kind of get an idea of what Saquon Barkley is going to be in the pros, what Bradley Chubb is going to be, uh, what Denzel Ward and, and even Josh Allen and Josh Rosen and all these quarterbacks in Mayfield. So, uh, I will start by saying this. I don't take into huge consideration 
their overall numbers and and you know that they're not having great overall success these quarterbacks uh i take into consideration do you see enough signs and flashes like those stats of sam darnold Josh Rosen, even Baker Mayfield, they're not going to be good as rookies. It's a tough, tough gig. You know, you're going to turn the ball over a whole bunch as a rookie. Uh, you're going to struggle at times. You're going to, you're going to be learning. And to be quite honest, all those guys have pretty terrible teams around them. So their chances of success, especially as rookies, are pretty darn slim. So, okay. Here's how I'm going to redraft the top seven. And this would be me if I were those teams, right? So one, May- Browns are up. I may- they like Mayfield. I, s- I think he's probably the best quarterback out there, okay? So I would say him too. Two, Giants. I think you got to go with the se- who you think is the second best quarterback. And to me, I still like what I see with Sam Darnold. He's going to be a, a probably a guy who turns it over a bunch in his career, but – I like his poise. I like his ability to stand in there and make plays. And I think would eventually he'll be a good quarterback. So I would do that instead of Saquon Barkley. I mean, you guys know where I stand on the running back thing. I just think that's a tough, tough thing to sit there and pick a running back that high. I, I wouldn't, if I'm any of these teams, I obviously wouldn't do it. You see all the success of guys in the third, fourth, fifth round. I mean, James Conner just stepped in for Le'Veon Bell. David Johnson was a mid-round pick. Kareem Hunt was a mid-round pick. Alvin Kamara was a, was a second round pick. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not dying to invest a top five pick in a running back. So we'll see if, if I get there. Uh, number three, the Jets. So now Darnold's off the board. Go to, they have, they, they were obviously set up. They had to go quarterback. So the next quarterback. So I'm, I'm probably in line with Mike here. I would go Rosen because I am not a fan. So if quarterbacks just went one, two, three, tells you what I think of quarterbacks because I'm not a fan of Josh Allen actually. So, uh, and then fourth, the Browns are up, right? Uh, if I were the Browns, and it's even I know Denzel Ward has been really good, um, but so is Derwin James, by the way, who isn't even on the, the Mike's list here in the top fifteen, who I definitely think would go in the top ten at this point. Uh, but for I would probably go if I'm the Browns at that point with Bradley Chubb. I mean, pass rusher. I mean, you see how this is turning out. I mean, he, he he's got. A handful of sacks at least already. I'm not sure the exact number, but uh, Denzel Ward is a legit pass rusher. So quarterback, 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 pass rusher on my board. And then the Broncos at number five. Now they're kind of stuck there. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Josh Allen, and I know the Broncos do need a quarterback of the future, but I'm not, I wouldn't go that way. If I were them, I'm either going Barkley or Quentin Nelson. But considering... Oof, that's a tough one here. Uh, so from the Broncos, yeah, I think I would probably go Barkley here. And then that would put the Colts at six with Quentin Nelson. And then at seven, the Bills are up, so then they would have Josh Allen. So really the only thing I changed was I bumped up Darnold to the Giants, bumped up Rosen to the Jets, and then – Threw in Chubb at four instead of Ward, and then Barkley fell to five. So, and then I don't have Ward in the top seven. Uh, probably he would probably go from somewhere eight to ten for me. So, yeah, if I was redrafting the 2018 NFL draft, that that's 
kind of how it would look for me right now. So thanks, Mike, for that question. I thought that was an interesting little exercise just to see how much things changed after, what, uh, nine games and, and ten weeks of the season. So E Graver 17 also hit me up on Instagram. He says, how much of this lost season do you put on Shermer? Um Interesting question. Hear a lot of talking heads saying he's not a good coach, but given the lack of O-line and a mobile QB, I'm not sure how he's supposed to succeed. think he deserves some credit for keeping the locker room together as well. And I agree with you. He does. I'm probably somewhere in the middle right now. I'm not about to blame him for the season, but I see things that have me concerned about his long-term prospects as head coach, specifically the way he uses time. I mean, he even did it. I never got to ask about it. He did it at the end of the 49ers uh, game. The Giants have the ball on like the 11-yard line with 50 seconds left, and they're running to the line of scrimmage and running a hurry-up play, and they or, and then they eventually score like pretty quickly. They give the 49ers the ball, the ball back with all this time left pretty unnecessarily. Now, I get it. You want to try and score, and that is important. And it doesn't mean they should start running the ball and sitting on it because you want to score and win the game. The game is tied at this point. I mean, the Giants are down three at this point. You don't want to tie. You want to go for the win. But it doesn't mean you have to rush to the line of scrimmage and therefore give the ball back to the other team. You see things like this. This is probably the third or fourth time I saw something with Pat Shermer and the clock and and decisions. I mean, did it against the Saints. He he kind of he gave the Saints the ball back. He didn't call timeout or so. Uh, you know, it, yeah, there was some. There's been he called timeout for the Saints, I believe it was. Uh, I, I forget what it was. I'm drawing a blank on that. But there has been may, uh, several times where it makes me concerned, and his offense hasn't exactly clicked, and he hasn't sort of hidden some of the problems they have. That also, I mean, I'm not going to blame him for that, but I also realize. He he could be doing a better job with this offense, forcing Eli to make some plays rather than uh, allowing him to just dump the ball down on third down. Sometimes on third and twelve, and he throws a, like the first drive the other night where he throws a one yard pass to Evan Ingram. That should just be unacceptable. It just shouldn't be allowed. The coach should make sure that that just doesn't happen, especially with the regularity that it's happening. You got to try and make some plays, okay. All right, Shules13 asked me on Instagram as well, what's been up with Sam Beal? Uh, is he in the facility sitting in on meetings, getting mental reps, and generally getting a feel for the NFL so he's more ready next year? Yeah. So Sam Beal was a third-round supplemental pick. He is around. He's outside at practice. He's even in his uniform. He doesn't have a helmet on. He basically rides the bike, does little stuff on the side. Can't really, I believe... He can't practice, but he could do uh, cardio. He could work out on the side. He he could do those things. So he looks to be fine. I mean, I'll do something with him later this year. But, uh, yeah, Sam Beal's around. He's in meetings. He's picking up stuff. But you see with R.J. McIntosh, he was around with meetings, doing cardio and that stuff too. And yet he came back, and this is actually a question someone else asked me. I forget who I was going to answer it. Hold on. Let's see. Who asked that question? Oh, on uh, Twitter, at Caldy. So I'm really melding these two questions into one. At Caldy 1908 R.J. McIntosh did the same thing, right? He was on the reserve, not injured list. He was at practice. He wasn't in, he was in his jersey, not in pads. Did running, light jogging, uh, those kind of drills. 
basic football drills, not team drills or practicing stuff on the side. And R.J. McIntosh is now activated, but he's not really close to still playing because he it, he's got to work himself up to playing football. So it, it's a process. They're around, no. They are picking stuff up, but they still have a long way to go. So Sam Beal will find out next year what he's going to be. You have to worry about the shoulder a little bit, too. I mean, he lasted one practice, so that has me a little concerned about his future moving forward as well. Amin, uh, at amsife19, asks, when do you think Loletta gets to play? Well, Eli Manning bought himself some time, right? He played pretty well in that victory over the 49ers, threw three touchdown passes this season. He had eight coming into the game. Uh, the Giants offense scored 27. Well, they, yeah, they did score 27 points, even though 10 came, uh, with big help from offense and special teams. But the offense looked better in general. So they play the Bucks this week. This is set up for Eli to have success again this week against a terrible Bucks defense. So Loletta's, the look at Loletta, which is going to happen at some point this year, isn't going to come in the next few weeks. Probably my estimation or guesstimation would be weeks 15, 16 are the really the, the ones you should circle, right? Uh, what is that? The Titans and the Colts? I think. Cause then week 17, that sort of could be Eli's farewell at home against the Cowboys. So, uh, I really, think that 15-16, take a look at, at, at Loletta at some point in there, is the likely um, scenario of how this might play out. Because look, once they're officially eliminated from the playoffs, they know that. Then it's time for them to start, hey, we want to get film of everybody for the future. It would be nice to have a little knowledge of what they have with Kyle Loletta before they make any investment going forward. Uh, I don't think it should stop them from doing anything, and I doubt it will, but you still want to have that information available. So, S. Augustus, uh, at outside, outside the lines, a lot of Z's in there, uh, asks, if G-Men decide Herbert is not the guy and they prefer to wait for the next draft, what would the one-year plan be? Keep Eli for another year or have a fill-in free agent QB like Tyrod or Teddy for a year? Or Loletta? They passed on QB before, History repeats. Well, I think if you don't, either you don't get Herbert or you want to pass on a quarterback this year, and you look, you don't want to force it, I get it. That's fine. Uh, but sticking with Eli doesn't make much sense. $22 million, what are you doing at this point? Are you, you know you're not going anywhere with him in the future. You're not winning a Super Bowl with him. You need the perfect team around him. So for $23 million, I believe it is, $23.2 million against the salary cap, that doesn't make any sense. You can save $17 million against the cap by um, releasing him or having, or if he retires. So that makes way more sense to me. And then you get a quarterback like Bridgewater or uh, Tyrod and you fill in for a year. And, or you, if you like a little lead enough, you try to have him with a veteran as a backup, like a Josh McCown, some, something along those lines. But yeah, going $23 million for Eli just doesn't make sense for me unless they really think they can win a Super Bowl. And if they do, they're dreaming again because they got stuck in that this year. So what's the point at that? You know, you're just 
playing at the line, and you're going to be in for another mess of the season. I mean, they're two and seven again this year. It's not good. So you can't end up in that spot again. Now, I think with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, you go to him and you say, look, one year, $10 million, $10, $12 million, here's the deal. You get to start. You're gonna, we're gonna guarantee basically you could start. You're gonna play with Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley. Okay? You have a chance because nobody's really gonna pay him big guaranteed money. They still haven't seen him play extended if he could hold up physically and all that. So, the Giants though can offer him a plush spot to start and showcase his abilities and say, hey, one year, 10, 12 million, you go and you play well, you're going to go and get yourself a hundred million. You're going to earn yourself that hundred million dollars guaranteed, basically. So, to me, that's the way that I would go about it. Uh, you, you take that shot on Teddy. If he plays really well, then you can move on from there. You could figure it out from there. If not, you just sort of, you know, say, okay, we're just going to draft a quarterback that following year anyway. So, I think that's the way to move about if. They don't draft a quarterback this year. Final question, Oakland Mike, at Mike underscore H-A-R. What are the pros' opinions on the ceilings for Spencer Pulley and Chad Wheeler? All right, two younger players, both in their second year, undrafted guys. I believe Pulley was undrafted. Started last year for the Chargers, but the fact that he was released shows you kind of what they thought about what his ceiling was. Uh, The Giants picked him up off waivers. Now he's starting at center. Chad Wheeler, undrafted guy, starting at right tackle. I think their ceilings are probably low-end starters. Uh, right now they're probably bad starters. So I think their ceilings are probably low-end starters. I don't see either of them becoming really consistent long-term starters in this league. Pulley seems to get pushed back into the quarterback's lap at times. And Wheeler really struggles in pass protection as well. I'm not sure he has quick enough feet to succeed long-term as a starting right tackle. They could be decent. I think they both could be good backups. Uh, I don't think maybe they could be starters on really good lines if you could hide them a little bit, but I don't see either of them being more than uh, low-end starters for teams, which they are right now for the Giants. So. Uh, as I mentioned before, we'll get about how the Giants should rebuild their offensive line. We'll do that next week, okay? So that'll be part of next week's part of how the Giants can go about rebuilding this offensive line, if Jamon Brown should be part of the future, uh, where Nate Solder fits in, uh, what they should do at center, all these good old things. The right tackle is a big spot that they have to have to fill. We'll get into that later on. But that's it for this week's Giants After Dark. Thank you all for your questions, and as always, feel free to reach out to me anytime, and I'll do my best to answer your questions in Giants After Dark. On to the next one. All right, I'll give you a little Jordan on the beat here, and then we'll close We'll close this episode out. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw my breakdown of what happened on the plane ride home, but I'll, I'll talk about it here as well. It's because... Uh, this trip to San Francisco was an interesting trip. A, I was starving. I get to the game, right? The game is, it's a night game there, but it's 5.30. I get to the game. It's, I get there probably like four plus hours before the game. I don't know. It's a 12, one o'clock-ish. And I'm starving because all I ate for breakfast was a banana. And so they have like pretzels there. You know, like soft pretzels, but not great soft pretzels. Sort of like the ones you, 
you buy in the frozen in the box and you heat up. But, but so I, I started eating a pretzel. And yeah, when you when I eat a pretzel, I gotta have mustard on it. I knew I'm wearing a suit. I knew that was a dangerous proposition, right? Eating a pretzel with mustard. Mustard is a dangerous condiment. You gotta watch out for mustard. You know, ketchup doesn't drip like mustard. Mustard just has a tendency to drip. So, of course, it gets all over my arm, all over the suit, messes up the suit. I can't wear the jacket. It's all over the jacket. Can't wear the jacket. I tried to clean it out. Then the jacket's got all the, the napkin all over it and a big stain. So, basically, I had to go around with shirt and tie with the pants, but no jacket for the rest of the day. So, that 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 was, you know, an interesting game day. And then it leads into the flight home on the way back. If we leave the next morning. I'm on one of those huge planes. This is what people don't seem to understand. So it's one of those three-section planes, okay, where there's three seats on the sides, on the left side, four seats in the middle, and then three more seats on the right side. And I'm sitting on the left side, okay, in the aisle seat, the third seat in that little section, but on the aisle. And so the person next to me is in the middle, obviously, right, to my left. And she says to me, she's probably in her 40s, okay? She says to me, me and my husband are separated. We're not sitting next to each other. Would you mind switching seats? And she just points randomly. I don't know which one her husband is, right? Towards the middle section. I said, well, if he's sitting in an aisle seat, yeah, sure, no problem. And she's like, oh, no, he's not. Well, I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, five and a half hour flight, I, I, you know, that's a big ask, right? That's a big big ask you're asking me because for whatever reason you're not sitting with your husband you need to sit next to your husband you need you want me to sit in a middle seat for six hours for that okay now if it was a child if it was a family with kids of course i would have done it i would have sucked it up i would have been miserable but i would have done it but for a middle-aged couple to sit next to each other that's some ask right if you're gonna ask somebody to go sit in a middle seat for five, five and a half, six hours, but it happens. And then I kind of feel bad, but I also feel like I made the right move at this point. And I put the poll on Twitter and I'm surprised, but most people agreed with me on this one. Like that was the right move. You, you don't give up the aisle seat there. Like that's a big ass. That's her problem. And she was actually in the wrong for doing the asking, which I don't, I, I, I don't begrudge anyone for, from asking, but you just have to be okay with the no, which she was. But then, the, the so the husband was sitting in the middle, the middle section, in one of the two middle seats. Those are the, so there's four seats in that middle section. So he was in one of the two middle seats, but not even in the same row as me. It was a row in front. So she then went and asked the girl sitting next to him on the aisle if she would move, and she said yes. So she comes and sits down next to me, and I'm like, I got to tell you. Probably like a 20-year-old college girl. She had, I think, a Berkeley shirt on, so you know, she probably went to Cal. Uh, I said to her when she sat down, I said, I got to tell you, you're a much better person than I am. I mean, seriously, I was I was not going to give up an aisle seat and sit in the middle seat for six hours. And she's like, yeah, you know, I they wanted to do it. I, I was just being nice. And I'm like, you are very nice. That is really nice sacrificing your own comfort potentially for six hours to be nice. That is really something. Kudos to her. Much better person than me. Clearly. Clearly. And then she then slept in the middle seat. I mean, this is 
you know, this shows you how good a person this person must be. She slept in the middle seat with basically her head on the tray the whole, like most of the flight. Clearly could not have been comfortable. Would have been way more comfortable on the aisle. And in retrospect, someone, I was talking about it yesterday at the Giants. Today's Thursday, so Wednesday at the Giants facility. Somebody from the Giants was asking me, like, I don't get the whole setup and situation. And she brought up a very valid point. It was very wrong for this person to ask the two people in aisle seats to make that switch. The right move in this situation would have been to ask the other person sitting in the middle seat in that middle section next to her husband if they would make that switch. Because then you're not really – it's not much of an ask. Then you're asking to switch a middle, another middle seat for a middle seat, and that person really has no reason to say no. But no, she had the gall – to ask two people with aisle seats, maybe, maybe with the intention of trying to basically upgrade her own personal seat. Wrong. That is wrong. If I realized that at the time, I would have called her out. That is just wrong. Ask the person in the middle to make that switch. And then you and your husband can sit in that four-person middle section with the two middle seats, and you can sit next to each other and cuddle. Okay? But don't be going around asking everybody for their aisle seat. That is just bad plane etiquette. She's probably, her and her husband, are probably also the people that the second the plane lands, they try and run up and get into the aisle and move up two feet so you can wait there for 15 minutes and save 20 seconds when you get off the plane. Good for you. But she did end up with an aisle seat. So, hey, for her own well-being, she made out all right. Can't blame her. Can't blame her. She did all right. But let's talk about football for one second, okay? And this doesn't really deserve that much more than this one minute I'm about to give it. Giants, Bucks. I'm taking the Giants, uh, 32 to 27 over the Bucks. This is a bad Bucks team. The Giants are at home. They're feeling themselves a little bit. They're feeling good about themselves. The offense is playing a little better. The offensive line is playing a little better. Uh, Odell Beckham is making plays. Saquon Barkley is going to make his plays. The defense is holding up just enough, and the Bucks turn the ball over just enough that the Giants are able to win at home 32-27 over the Tampa Bay Bucks this week. That's my pick. I wouldn't bank on it. Although I did, I will say this. I actually did pick the Giants last week. I'm telling you this not to brag because I'm almost always wrong with these Giants picks this year. I haven't been able to pick this team at all, especially with the spread. But last week... Monday night against the 49ers, I just felt them coming and having a win. So we're going for two in a row this week. I'm trying to start my own personal little streak here with my picks. So Giants 32, Bucks 27. And that's it for this week's episode of Breaking Big Lou. Remember, iTunes, Google Play, uh, ESPN app, uh, podcatcher. You can catch this pod, the Breaking Blue podcast anywhere. Uh, not really anywhere, but if you have an Android phone, get that podcatcher, and that's where you can get it. That's a question a lot of people ask me all the time. And feel free. Make sure we give us ratings. We want to rate rate us on iTunes. Rate us wherever so you know people know what they're in for. Uh, ratings are good for the, the placement and for the, the life of the podcast. So we appreciate all your feedback. Email me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you can. I'm available. Do it. Hit me up. I'll try and answer all your questions. I'm Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. We'll see you next time. 